really praying about what to speak and what to share here this morning. And um, the Lord told me just to stay in the vein that we had been in in regards to the series that we had been in. I know you guys have been real busy and a lot of stuff's been going on, but we've been in a series called Are We There Yet? And the, the focus of this series is just really looking at are we living in the last days? Are we, are we living in the last days? And I think, I think everybody uh, in the house would agree that without a doubt, we are living in the greatest spiritual era, the greatest spiritual era that the world has ever known. Let me give you a definition of the word era. It's a period of time identified by uh, some prominent figure or characteristics. It's a, it's a period of time where... Um, it's identified by some prominent figure or, or, or characteristics. And so if you, you look at the Bible, you'll see that there have been several different spiritual eras over time. You, you can look back and you can see all these different eras of time. But ladies and gentlemen, we are living in the most anticipated spiritual era of all times. We are in it. We're living in it. And there are a lot of people that talk about it. One is uh, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. One day, I, I know for some of you, you've probably never heard me talk about this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. That's, that should be funny to some of you. Maybe you don't remember what Matthew 16, 18 says. I'm going to remind you. One day, Jesus was standing outside of the city, and he had um, 12 of his disciples with him. So there are 13 people standing outside of the city, and he, 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 he's looking into the future. And he's standing there, but he's looking to the future and he has asked a question, what are people talking about me? What are people saying about me? What are the things that people, what's the word on the street about me? And there were a variety of answers, but Peter spoke up and Peter said, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. You are the sent one. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're exactly right. You nailed it. You know who I am. You're not smart enough to figure this out on your own. My father in heaven has helped you understand this. And here's, what's, here's the deal, Peter. And I'm going to tell you who you are. You are rock now. I'm going to change your name, I'm going to change your identity. And then he began to say something else because he, he glances into the future and he looks into the future and he says, and I will build my church. Five words. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. So what, what is happening there in that moment, Jesus is looking forward. And as he's looking forward, he's seeing the era that we're living in. He's looking forward and he's seeing the era that we're looking in, that we're living in right now. It is an era where it is, a, it is, it is, when he says church, he's not talking about buildings. He's not talking about facilities. He's not talking about complexes. He's talking about a kingdom and a church or, that would be built on people. That he wouldn't be living in a temple. He wouldn't, God wouldn't be staying in a temple. That he would live in people's hearts. Is that not amazing as Jesus is looking forward and he's seeing this era of time that we're living in right now? He's seeing it. There's another, I can go on and on and on about the eras, right? I can go back in the Old Testament, I can talk about all the prophets that saw it, but there was another, there's another great example of this, and it is in Revelation 12 11. It's not revelations, it's revelation, because it's only one revelation, it's revelation about Jesus, right? So in Revelation 12, 11, John has this um, revelation. God shows him some things. And the amazing thing about this is that God shows John the same era, but from a different perspective. 
Revelation 12, 11, put it up on the screen for me. It says this. It says, they triumph. Stop right there. They. Who is they? Who, are, who is that? Who is John seeing? What is John seeing when he says they triumph? He's seeing the same group of people that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 16. The church. He's seeing the same thing. But look what he says. It says, they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives uh, 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 even so much to shrink back from what? From death. So I think this is amazing. Because John is seeing the exact same thing that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 16. But he's seeing it from a different point in time because he's seeing it from this point looking back. It's like God showed him the future from that moment. So it basically, God is showing John the end of the game. Now remember this. Remember, an era is, is, is something, it's a period of time that has certain characteristics that really stand out. So I want to pull out a couple of those characteristics real quick, just for a moment. In these two scriptures, as we're talking about this era, this time that we're living in today. And by the way, I want, I want you to pat yourself on the back. I want you to, well, I know we're doing the social distance thing, maybe a virtual high five, unless you know them, that you can give a fist bump, whatever. But just say, I'm so thankful that I'm alive right now. Go ahead. I'm so thankful that I'm alive right now. I'm grateful to Jesus that I'm alive right now. Because listen, of all of the spiritual areas, of all of the times that he could have placed you in, he puts you in the best one. He puts you in the one that was most talked about, the one that was most spoken of, the one that was most predicted. You are living in it right now. Are you following this? But these characteristics, well, number one is, is that, that um, there are challenges in this era. Because remember, in Matthew chapter 16, as Jesus is looking forward, he said this, he said, the gates of hell will not what? Prevail. So what he's seeing was a group of people, but he also saw some challenges. Jesus in, um, in Jesus, excuse me, what John saw in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, what he saw, he saw the same thing. He said, says they, they triumphed or they overcame. What? Meaning that there are challenges. If, if you think about this, the, the church that started the era that we're living in was birthed in a very difficult environment. Because in Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus was standing there and he's talking about, he's talking about what he's saying about the church and it's going to, they're going to overcome. He's standing there with 12 other dudes. In other words, he's, he's basically what they don't know is going to start with him. But what he's seeing is, is that, that there were 12 dudes that, that, that were really just not all perfect. They weren't theologians or anything like that. They weren't great spiritual heroes. They weren't these big, massive whatevers. But he's standing there and he's just dreaming and he's saying, there's going to be a great church, but there's going to be somewhat some challenges. So as a matter of fact, when the church began, first layer of adversity were the Jews that were against them. I mean, it's a tough thing when the people that you were a part of reject you. The Jews rejected Christians and said, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And they tried to stop them at every time. You, you look beyond that and what you see is you see the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire stood against the church. The Roman Empire just, well, I don't know if you know anything about the Roman Empire, but they ruled with an iron fist. These were brutal people and anything against the state they tried to stop. But how many of you know 
that, that though the odds were against those 12 guys that were uh, standing there with Jesus in Matthew chapter 16, and, and the, the odds were against them. But how many of you know that we serve a God that could care less about odds? He could care less about the odds. Because God had a dream, God had a purpose, and God said this, God said, and Jesus said this, Jesus said, I see a church and hell will come against it, but what? Here's the other characteristic, they will overcome, they will be victorious. When you, when you look at this era, I mean, you, got, you look at where we're at today, I mean, craziness, craziness. How many of you would have ever imagined that folks would have been fighting over toilet paper? Standing in line to get toilet paper. I mean, and then all this stuff now we got to, you know, I had a hard time remembering my, okay, I got to get my keys before I leave. I got to get my cell phone before I leave. And now I got to get my mask before I leave. I mean, he's walked into some place and you looked around and everybody's got masks except you. you know, Hold on a second, let me go back and get my mask. Craziness. You guys know about craziness. You have one of the most powerful hurricanes that ever hit the United States. And then just a few weeks later, and just a few weeks later, what happens? I remember seeing the one when this uh, delta is, is it was south of the Yucatan Peninsula down in the southern Caribbean. And I'm thinking, no way. No. Can't. No way. We're living in the last days, but I'm, I came here to tell you this morning that when you're connected to God's purpose and you are, you're not a victim. I said, you're not a victim. We know the end of the story. We've seen it from Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. We see it. So my dad, my dad uh, was a football coach and um, my dad was a football coach and, um, you know, well, I think if you don't really know about sports, you don't really know about football, you don't know about all the work that goes into the game before the game happens. You know what I'm saying? In other words, because the staff, the coaching staff, they all get together. And I grew up watching back then what we called film, you know. So what would happen, one of the things that happened is, is that we would, um, coaches, they scout the, they scout the team that they're about to play. So they'll watch hours of what we call tape or film and they're, they're watching it and watching it and they're, they're looking for any characteristics that would give them an edge. They're looking for any kind of little thing that, that, that would give their offense an edge so they would know the right place. And so they're watching their defense, the opposition's defense and the defensive guys are watching the offensive. Uh, the offensive uh, tendencies of the team that they're going to play next week. So the whole idea, the whole reason they're doing that is because they want to go into that game prepared. They want to go into the game knowing which plays to run. Because, because you've only got X amount of minutes in the game. And you've got to get the plays right. Because if you don't get the plays right, what happens is you're going to be in a disadvantage. But if you know what plays to run, you can win. So let me ask you a question. What would it be like if you could see the game you're going to play on Saturday, the Monday before? What if you could see the game that you're going to play on Saturday, but there was a way to see it on Monday, the Monday before? What kind of advantage do you think you would have? 
Come on now. Would you not, would you not all agree it would be a game changer? If you could know the place to run before you ever entered the game, because you've already seen the game before you played it. Once you get this, that's exactly what God has done in Revelation 12, 11. Put that back up on the screen. Revelation 12, 11. It's exact, look at it, guys. It's exactly what God has done. God is saying to you, to me, the church, I'm showing you the end of the game. I'm showing you the game before you ever play it. They overcame him, what? By the what? Play number one. They overcame him by what? The word of their testimony. They overcame him by what? They love, I'll say it this way, they love not their lives even unto what? Death. I'm just going to give you three plays that you got to run in the end times. You guys ready for this? Take notes. Get ready for this. Here we go. Number one, you overcome play number one by the blood. Now, I, I grew up in a Pentecostal charismatic kind of environment. And I remember, I remember as a kid, we would sing about the blood. Oh, the blood of, oh, the, well, you were there. And then, and then there were times where, then there were times where, where I, uh, we would say, I would hear my grandmother say, I plead the blood, I plead the blood. And I'm thinking, man, this is, as a kid, I'm thinking this is kind of weird. Because they're talking about blood, the blood is against you. All these different things. I'm like, this is, this is a bit weird. And almost in my little, you know, eight or ten year old mind, I'm thinking, what do you do? Do you take like a communion cup and you run at the devil with it? I mean, just run it, you know, the devil, communion cup, it's against you. Let me break this down for you. When, 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 when John saw this and Jesus showed John about the blood, and he wrote it down. He was, he was not a 21st century Western mindset. Are you following this? It was not a 21st century mindset. What, what, what John saw, he interpreted it this way because he interpreted it through a covenant mindset. So when, when he talked about the blood, it, it was, it was, it was when, 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 People of that day read that or they heard that. They knew this. They knew, wait, wait, there, there's more to it than just blood. We all know, we all know that it's talking about the blood of Jesus, right? We, we all get that. But, but it's more than just the fact that Jesus' blood poured out of his body. It's much more to that. Because the, 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 the readers of that day, and what we've got to get, ladies and gentlemen, is, is that there, there, from a covenant mindset, there is no such thing as a promise without blood. Are you following me? Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter 15, God spoke to Abram. Abram and Sarah had no children. She was not able to have children. They were very old. God spoke to Abram and said, Abram, I give you this promise. I'm going to provide something. It's a promise of provision. I am going to help you. I'm going to provide a child for you. I'm going to help you. I mean, you got to do your part, but I'm going to help you. I'm not going to dig into your part. I'm just going to talk about God's help over here. 
But I'm, I'm going to help you. And, and so, so go back and read. I don't have time to go into it right now. But, but, but Abram looked at God and said, God, listen, I, I get it. I'm thankful for that. But how am I going to know that this is going to happen? Genesis chapter 15, God spoke to him and he said, this is what you need to do. You need to go get some sacrifices and sacrifice them. Ladies and gentlemen, what happens when you sacrifice an animal? There's going to be what? There's going to be what? Blood. So what God was saying to Abraham, I'm sh- there, there is blood that shed because this the blood that guarantees the what? The promise. Give you another example. God speaks to um, Moses and God speaks to Moses. They're getting ready to leave Egypt. And, 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 and God said, here's what's going to happen, Moses. There's going to be an angel of death that's going to come over Egypt. But here's what you need to do. You need to tell the people to do what? Go get a lamb. Sacrifice the lamb. So what has God promised? I'm going to protect the people because there's going to be an angel of death that's going to come over this thing. It's going to be a bad, bad deal. But for my people, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to protect them. So you tell them to make a sacrifice and do what? Take the blood and put the blood over the doorpost. God gave the promise and then he did what? He said, make a sacrifice because the promise is guaranteed by what? The Let me, let me give you, let me, let me, let me give you this is Exodus 12, seven. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it over the sides and the tops of the door frames of the houses that they eat from the lambs. Listen, they trusted God's promise and God made good because God gave them a promise of protection and guaranteed it by the blood. Ladies and gentlemen, we win because we've got promises that we can put our trust in. That's not backed by the blood of goats and calves, but are backed by the blood of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, the yes to all God's promises is in Christ. The yes to all of God's promises. Let me stop real quick. How many's ever heard this? There's an app for that. Anybody ever heard that? There, there's an app for that. You, 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 need, you need directions? There's an app for that. You need, you need a wife or a husband? There's a... I didn't need an app, but nevertheless... You want to know something? There is a, you want to keep up with something? There's a, let me just say this about God. Just like there's an app for everything. There is a, for for us in regards to God, there is a promise for every single thing. You need provision. There's a promise for that. You need restoration. There's a promise for that. You need hope. There's a promise for that. You need peace. There's a promise for that. You need joy. There's a promise for that. And every single promise is blood bought and blood back. That's the reason you can be guaranteed when you stand on the promise, you will overcome. Play number one is the truth, the word of God. And they overcame, not because the blood was shed, but because they trusted in the promise that back the blood that back the promise. Play number one. Everybody say with me one more time, just because I like to hear you talk back to me. There's a promise for that. First John two fourteen says says that I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is in, uh, from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God promise lives in you. Watch this. And you have overcome the what? So my, my, quick, my question that I believe God sent me here to ask you this morning is this. What promise are you standing on? What, what promise are you standing on? Because if you'll stand on 
If you'll stand on it, it's, it's been backed by the blood of Jesus. Your part's to stand. God's part is to pull it off. God did it for Abram. God did it for Moses and the people of Israel. And God will do it for you. Amen. Trusting God is a game changer. The, the next and play number two is, was, he said this, he said it's the word of their testimony. That they overcame it. The, they overcame it. didn't say it. There, there was, there's no R in there. In other words, it's, you have an option. Actually, it's play number one, you stand on the promise, stand on God's word. It's blood bought, blood backed. Play number two is that they overcame by the, 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 the word of their testimony. And I threw in their worship because really there's a strong connection. There's a strong connection to their testimony and worship. Now, let me just use 21st century lingo here. It says, uh, let me just say this. They triumphed by their response to their story. Testimony. If, if I ask you to give me your testimony, what am I asking for? I'm asking you to give me your story. I mean, that's just well, how we say it today. Tell me your story. Tell me your story. Everybody got a story. Tell me your story. I want to hear your story. What, what I'm really asking is I want to hear your testimony. Here, here, here's what I want you to get. Praise and worship is a response to your story. Stop and think about that. Praise, worship is a response to God because of your story. If you and I were walking down the street, if you and I were walking, let's say we're downtown and and it's, you know, it's open, everything's good. We're walking down the street and, 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 and as we're walking along, I don't, I don't think any of us in the room would run up to anybody almost randomly or spontaneously. We wouldn't run up to them spontaneously and just begin to praise them, would we? I mean, if you do, I'm staying where I'm at. You just go. Okay? But if we're walking down the street and you see somebody up there that has changed your story in a positive way. If you see that person, you see them from a ways away, and you know they have impacted your story some way, you know what you're going to do? You're going to say, hey, come on. I I want you to come meet this person because they impacted my life. They changed my story. And you're going to go up to them, and you're going to say, thank you for the difference that you made in my life. Hey, hey, Pastor John, you got to meet this person. This is my story, and this is how they impacted my life. And you would begin to talk about them and how great they are and begin to thank them. Why? Because they made a difference in your life. They changed your story. <laughs> Give me a great example of this. You probably remember in the Bible, there's, um, there are ten lepers. Ten came to Jesus. Jesus healed them all. But, but look, what, look, look, look at the account in Luke 17, 15, 19. It says, uh, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. What did, what, what did he do? Go ahead and say it. it it's, it's on the screen. It's not a trick question. He what? Praise God with a what? Praise God with a what? Why? Because his story had been changed radically by Jesus Christ. Come on, somebody. It it wasn't a random act of praise. 
It wasn't, a, it wasn't just like a spontaneous thing. He thought, well, I think it's just a good idea. This guy named Jesus is back there. I think I'll just... No, Jesus had done something for him. He changed his life. And because of that, he came back to Jesus. And with a loud voice, he began to praise God. Let me just tell you something, folks. Sometimes when you see people get a little bit loud in praise, and you're like, I just don't know if, that, I, I don't know if that's real or not. They're just putting on a show. Hey, Maybe you just need to get your eyes where they belong. You shouldn't be looking at them in the first place. You should be having it in heaven. But also the second thing, you don't know their story. You don't know what God has done in them. You don't know. You don't know. So get your eyes where they belong dear, and praise on him. Get them off of what people are saying or what people are doing because you don't know their story. You see, because the truth is all of our stories are different. We've all had different journeys. We've all had different experiences. We've all had different, th- different things that happened to us. But yet, all of our stories are exactly the same. Ephesians, Paul says this, that we were all dead in our sins. Who? All. That's our story. We were all dead in our sins. We all got the same story. But we also all have the same story because the Bible says that, that God made us alive with Christ. He quickened us with Christ. And it is by grace that we're saved. That is all of our story if you are born again. That, that's your reason. Listen, that, 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 I love this song that recently came out. It, it's, it, that praise is your weapon. I like that. I love, matter of fact, Pastor David, did you tell them we're going to go back to that song? Okay. Talking about spontaneity. It's like, we're going to go back to that one. Because listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. They overcame them by the blood of the Lamb. God's promises, God's truth. By the word of their testimony, their story. It wasn't just they told it, it's just that they praised God. Just like the leper, the one leper that came back, he began to praise Jesus. Why? His story was different. There's a song that, that came out. It says, is it praise, praise your weapon? I, I'll just, I'm, I'm not going to sing it for you because it would ruin your day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll, we, we'll rejoice, not get sick because of Pastor John's singing. My praise is a weapon that that breaks off oppression. My song is an anthem that moves all of heaven. If my God is for me, then who can be against me? I love that. You're the giant slaying, mountain moving God. You're the grave shaking, dead raising one. With a sling and a rock, we can't be stopped. With the blood of a son, we have overcome. You are the giant slaying, uh, mountain moving God. Come on, somebody. What about, what about Paul and Silas? They were in prison in, Matthew, in, in, in uh, Acts chapter 16. What about those two? Sometimes we think we got it tough, and we do, not taking away from the difficult circumstances. Difficult, but at least we're not in a wet prison in the bottom of a prison chained to a bunch of stinky other men. Come on. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 and 26, it says, Paul and Silas, undaunted, they prayed in the middle of the night. Watch this. They sang songs of praise to God. What happened? Verse 26, suddenly a great earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. All at once, every prison door flung open and the chains of all the prisoners came, what? 
loose. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. Listen, praise and worship is a game changer. Run the, pray, run the play of praise. When you're not feeling good, when it's not, not, the circumstances look bad, you just say, Father, I'm just going to take a praise break right now. When the insurance companies aren't cooperating, I'm going to take a praise break right now. Come on, somebody. I'm just going to take a praise break because I'm not going to use my, my praise as a, a way to complain to God. I'm going to use my praise as a what? A weapon. And I'm going to overcome because I know the end of the game. God's already shown me that praise is what helps me overcome. Can't be stopped. God's people can't. When you're connected to God's purpose, you can't be stopped. We already know the end of the game. We already know the second, first and second play. What about the third one? Play number three, selflessness. Because it says they did not love their lives so much. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink back from death. In other words, they, even though they were facing challenges and difficult times, they were still all in. Everybody listen to me. Listen to me. This is so important. And I, be honest, be honest with you. I wrestled with this one because I said, God, I don't want to go down to Lake Charles. These guys have faced, they're facing stuff I don't even know about. I, I, I never been there, God. You want me to go down there? You want me to tell them this? I mean, the first two points, I was like, yeah, that's going to be good. But this, this third one, God, you want me to say this? Because these guys, they were facing difficult challenges. Their life was on the line, but it said they loved, they didn't love themselves so much that they forgot about others. They didn't love their life so much that they forgot about. That is the reason when Pastor David was talking about the service and all the, th- the things that we're going to do after this service, I'm thinking that is so, so good because it is so easy to start thinking about me when times are tough. But see, these people, these people that we're seeing, play number three, it, it, they chose to be selfless. Even though they were opposed and even though they risked even being hung on a cross or beaten for their faith. To be put in a prison, deep in a dungeon for their faith. They loved not their what? Lies. They chose to be what? Selfless. They chose to what? Serve. Why? I'll tell you why. Because servants always win. Servants always win. Just a few hours before as I wrap up. I forgot to say that. Sorry. Just a few hours before Jesus was to hang on the cross. Just a few hours before Jesus was to hang on the cross. He didn't go grab his armor. Just hours before they were to come and get him. He didn't grab a spear. He didn't go over to Peter and say, hey, Peter, I need, I need your sword, man. We know that Peter had a sword because he, remember he cut the dude's ear off. And Peter, was, Peter just should have stuck with fishing. Because he's probably trying to go for his whole head and he got his ear. I mean, he's just not good with that sword. Just go back to fishing. Stick with the nets, Peter. He, he didn't grab any of that. He didn't put his armor on. Helmet. You know what he grabbed? He grabbed a towel. The Last Supper. He grabbed a towel. 
And he stood up and he looked at his disciples and he said, you know what? I'm going to wash your feet. I'm going to serve you. Now, listen, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew. He knew he was going to the cross. He knew that. But instead of putting all the armor on and doing all these different things to preserve himself, you know what he was thinking about? He was thinking about serving somebody else. And he took off his robe. He put on his servant garment and he grabbed a towel and he said, you know what? I'm going to wash some feet. And he went in to that moment with a heart to serve. And as he was being beaten several hours later by the Romans, do you know what he was doing? He was still serving. He didn't fight it because he knew that he was there to serve his father. He'd already surrendered to the will of God. He'd already surrendered to the will of Father. He'd already, he'd already cried out to God, God, not my will, but your will. I'm, I'm just here to serve you. And I'm here to serve the people that are going to, that, that desperately need the payment for their sins. See, see, he went into that moment on the cross, not as a soldier, but as a servant. And I don't think anybody would question that he triumphed. He triumphed over the greatest challenge that any of us would ever face. And that is the death on a cross. Why? Because servants win. They overcame him. Looking back, he's looking at us. (laughs) Yeah. It's like ESPN highlights. That they overcame, that's with by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony worship. And they love not their lies, even unto death. They served God's purpose in that era. So this